Well, it's great to have your company as we journey through this thing we called life. And uh, Life Words Q&A is our weekly session with David Ray where we talk about the intersection where life and faith collide. And uh, we just have a discussion. And uh, tonight, or today, we've got three questions as usual. We'll be looking at the uh, so-called prosperity doctrine. Uh, should uh, Christians drink alcohol? And uh, my minister says that God only speaks through the Bible uh, these days. Is that true? G'day, David. Good to see you. G'day, Andrew. Thank you. So let's start with the first question. Uh, this is, I hear a fair bit about the dangers of the so-called prosperity gospel. What is it? And what is the danger? Well, I guess, Andrew, in, in, in its uh, different people will interpret different ways. Uh, but its dangerous form, and I suspect this is what behind the question, in its most dangerous form, it goes something like this. God wants you to be materially well off. And if you're materially well off, it's a sign of his favour. Well, if you're not materially well off, you must be doing something wrong. So I think that's the most, uh, shall we say, crude form of it. God wants you to be rich and materially wealthy. And if you're not rich and materially wealthy, well, something's gone wrong somewhere. And that's the most dangerous form of the prosperity gospel. So where do, where, where do people get that impression? Where does it say, I mean, is there particular verses that would hint that God or Jesus is saying that? Well, there are a couple of isolated texts in Scripture, particularly one in one of the epistles of John, where, where, where the writer says, I want you all to prosper. Um, uh, that's one particular thing. And in the Old Testament, there are instances where it's taught that uh, uh uh, some degree of material prosperity is a sign of God's favour, and, and 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 so on and so on. There there there, there are some texts there, but like in in, in anything, uh, you can prove almost anything from anywhere in the Bible if you're not careful. I would want to say that it is dangerous that sort of prosperity gospel I've uh, just mentioned, because. Um, I don't believe the general teaching of Scripture is that God wants us wealthy. I mean, there are so many warnings in the New Testament about the dangers of wealth. So it'd be rather strange if God said, I really want you all to be materially wealthy or beware of material wealth sort of thing. Uh, and also look at Jesus. If Jesus is to be the model, the paradigm of uh, all that is good about uh, um, being a godly person, well, he certainly uh, uh, wasn't exactly materially wealthy. And if we are to say that the norm for Christians is that God wants us to be materially wealthy, uh, what are we going to say to all those Christians throughout the world, in the two-thirds world perhaps, who are very struggling through and through no fault of their own? Are we going to say to these these terribly impoverished Christians, um, you've sinned, you've done something terribly wrong? So I don't think the Bible does actually teach us that. I suspect what, in the, in the most extreme form of the prosperity gospel, I think what some Christians are, are doing is simply saying, I want these certain things. I live in a materialistic culture, and if they're honest, they are materialists themselves. Let's try to get some biblical support for it. And as I say, you can quote certain texts to say that um, God wants you to prosper and so on, and therefore you say, well, God wants you to prosper, uh, therefore I'll go all out for material prosperity. So what I think that means is that you end up, uh, God again becomes a means to an end. My real goal and end is material prosperity. And because I'm a Christian, I'll enlist God in that cause. And I, I guess uh, Mark Sayers is a, a Melbourne-based uh, pastor and author. And he, he wrote in his book, The Trouble with Paris, in the Western world, a corrosive epidemic is eating away at the faith lives of Christians. It whispers in our hearts 
that we've got it wrong, that our faith shouldn't be in Jesus Christ, but in something else. And he hints that that something else is materialism, is the hyper-reality that we live. He talks about this world, which this culture that we live in in the West, saturated with media and advertising uh always giving us a picture of something better, of that better-looking body, of that successful life, of you'll be happy with that BMW or of that house, uh, that larger house, that family with two children and a dog. So we're continually being bombarded with, with a message, a cultural message. And would it be fair enough to say that in many churches, uh, particularly in, in the U.S., that that consumer culture is moving into the church? Oh, definitely. I, I think there's no doubt about that, that uh, uh, Christians are not immune from that materialistic culture. And, and indeed, we, 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 we're, none of us is immune from it. Um, the, the prosperity gospel, incidentally, exists very strongly in some of the two-thirds world countries. Uh, and and, and the, basically the message there, as in uh, the Western world, is uh, uh, follow Jesus and this is the way to a better material life because the desire for, a mat- for material wealth is so deeply embedded in us, as, um, as, as, as you've indicated. That, that in, but instead of sort of go- going, as it were, and saying, well, I'm just going to get rich come what may, which many people in the world do, Christians might say, well, uh, I really want to be rich. I'd love to be rich. I'd love to be well off. Uh, uh, how can I sort of somehow rather immerse that in, in, in religious faith? And how can I put it in religious words and so on? So I think that sort of teaching panders to our consumerism and our materialism. Uh, and I think it is extremely dangerous because uh, what it does do is to say, look, unless you are rich, um, unless you get materially wealthy, you somehow or other displease God. And I think that just loads guilt upon Christians who are impoverished uh, very, very badly. And also, the pursuit of wealth in and of itself can be a very dangerous thing. It makes us uh, very, very uh, greedy. It makes us very, very envious. Um, but but having said all that about, I've mentioned that's the dangerous form yeah. of prosperity teaching, um, there is a good sort of prosperity gospel, I suppose, as it were, I do believe that God wants to bless us and have us prosper in him. The key is, what does it mean to prosper? And we, in our Western materialistic world, tend to think, ah, to prosper means to be materially rich. Um, But it might not mean that at all. So does the Bible, does God, does Jesus want us to prosper? Surely he does. But when we start saying prosperity equals material wealth... Uh, I think we've got a bit of a problem there. God wants us to prosper, and and that but that prosper is is appropriating all that God has for us in life here and now. Now again, to be careful here, that may include material wealth, because there is no way in the world that I would deny that a Christian who is a good steward of his or her wealth uh, can actually increase that wealth. I don't think there's any problem at all yep. in increasing your wealth and in becoming more prosperous as long as that material prosperity is seen to be, as it were, a byproduct of following Jesus rather than the reason that we do follow Jesus. We are to we, we, we may prosper materially and thank God that we do. But remember in the Bible, material prosperity is always linked to generosity. It seems to me that the best sort of prosperity gospel there is, is that God enables me to prosper so as I am enabled to be generous to others. That's the key. I don't think I'm given material wealth 
any material wealth I've got in order that God says, well, here you are, I want to just make you rich. No, he wants to have us be generous and he will always give us enough that we will be enabled to be generous. That's the better sort of prosperity gospel. You're listening to LifeWords Q&A. David Ray, thanks so much for answering uh, and giving us some insights into the prosperity gospel and what it means to prosper. Our second question today, and if you've got a question, we would love to uh, hear it, and David would love to uh, have a chat to you uh, on air about it. It's called um, LifeWords. The email address is LifeWords at hopemedia.com.au if you want to send us a question. Second question, David, is should Christians drink alcohol? Well, that's a, a question that's divided Christians down through the ages. Um, let me first of all be quite clear, as I hope we're all clear, at the dangers of alcohol. We we don't need to spend a lot of time on saying how how dreadful the influences of alcohol could be on our society and on families and so on. So 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 we have to say that now. In response to that. I think that, that I, I do know of Christians who say, well, that's it. Because alcohol is so dangerous, I'm going to abstain, full stop. I'm going to be a teetotal. Some go further and say that the Bible actually forbids us to drink alcohol. And I think that's a little bit of a stretch. I'm not quite clear of exactly how we can find biblical support for total abstinence. Um, However, there can be a case be, to be made for total abstinence um, out of concern that, that you might cause others to stumble. Um, and, and, and others, I know, might abstain because they don't want to give any support to the alcohol industry anyway. So there can be good reasons for Christians to abstain from alcohol, but I would want to stop short of saying it is a rule, it is a law, and no Christian should drink alcohol at all. I think that's probably pushing it a little bit too far, but there may be wise reasons, reasons of discretion that a Christian may, in certain circumstances at least, or perhaps through the whole of life, abstain from alcohol. Would there be a biblical... Um is there anything in the Bible that says about them? Uh, I mean, like in terms of misusing alcohol from, a, you know, maybe drinking a little bit too much or having party games, all that kind of stuff. Is there anything that would be sort of spoken against that? Well, the Bible a... certainly condemns drunkenness. Yeah. It says don't be drunk um, instead be overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit. Um, the, but but the, the, the key, and, and I think that's fairly universal. I, I don't think any Christian would support drunkenness. No. Uh, I think Christians would generally say who those who drink alcohol would say, yes, I will drink alcohol, but only in moderation and I will not get drunk. But I think the, the more interesting biblical uh, context is that context that Paul speaks about when he talks about, say, the weaker brother and not causing another Christian to stumble. Now, he was talking about food laws and some Old Testament traditions and so on there. This is a little bit different, but I think the same principle applies. I know of a minister many, many years ago now, uh, who told me when I was only a young theological student that uh, he didn't see there's any problem in the Bible about drinking alcohol at all, but he would never, ever, ever drink alcohol. And the reason for that is he had a big ministry amongst young people. He had influenced a lot of young people in his day. And he said, I'm not going to give them any excuse 
for misusing alcohol. So I, out of deference to them, out of consideration for them, am not going to drink alcohol, even though I, I believe the Bible allows me to do so, short of drunkenness, of course, but I'm going to refrain from drinking alcohol because I don't want to cause a stumbling block to those younger people. Because this particular man, as many, he, he would have been able to drink very responsibly, have a glass of wine or two or a beer, you know, after work or something. He, he could do that without getting drunk. But he was never never quite sure whether some of the young men and women who looked up to him as being an example would look at him and say, oh, he's having a drink, I'll have a drink. Because him having a drink, he was probably able to do it very responsibly, but he wasn't quite sure of them. So I, I really respect that point of view. Yep. I, I'm, again, I'm not saying that's what all Christians have got to do, but I think if you're going to abstain from alcohol, I think you do it on the basis of respect for other people and, and out of concern for not being a stumbling block, rather than saying the Bible forbids it. I think we've got to be just a little bit more careful about that. You're listening to LifeWords Q&A with David Ray. G'day, I'm Andrew Morris. If you've got a question, please email us, lifewords at hopemedia.com.au. Our final question for today is, uh, my minister says that God only speaks through the Bible nowadays. Other Christians talk about God speaking to them separately from the Bible. Who is right? Well, Andrew, I'd I'd be inclined to go with this person's friends rather than the minister there, but I don't think it's quite as simple as that. Um, let me just spell out the dangers of each of those approaches. So let's say, for example, someone is saying, uh, as I do know they do say, that God only speaks through the Bible today. Well, first of all, uh, the Bible is what we call a compass rather than a map. It doesn't give detailed directions for everything. So I don't think we can ever say that God only directs us or gives instructions to us purely and simply through the written word of God. There's many situations that we have to face in life that are not covered by the written word of God. Um, The Bible itself doesn't seem to say that it is the only source of um, revelation from God. I'd also say, and in this way I'm not in any way trying to accuse that minister that this uh, questioner is talking about, but you've got to be careful, speaking as a pastor and Bible teacher myself, that you've got to be careful because uh, in saying things like God only speaks through the Bible. Because if you say God only speaks through the Bible and I am the Bible teacher in this church, well, what you are risking saying is God only speaks through me. Now, I'm not saying that ministers and pastors generally are following that logic, but it can become like that to say I am am the source of Bible teaching in this church. God only speaks through the Bible, so therefore God only speaks through me. So that's, I guess, a danger of the God only speaks through the Bible approach. I I think it's got its dangers, and I don't think the Bible itself um, justifies it. But then again, of course, uh, like a lot of these questions, uh, there's another side to it, because the danger in this question as friends approaches who say, oh, God speaks to me separately from the Bible, I'd want to question that and say, well, 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 how do you know that it is God that is speaking to you? Um, and and what what it's, it's easy and dangerous, for example, to say, God told me this and God told me that. God said this and God said that. And all you're really doing is, well, this is what I want to do. This is what I think. And all you're doing is sort of giving yourself more authority by saying God told me or God said this. And I think that's very, very, very dangerous to do that, to confuse your own feelings or desires with um, God. You know, I think the best way of approaching all this is to say, look, I believe that God speaks in all sorts of ways. 
I believe he can speak through uh, nature, he can speak through uh, a picture, an image, a sense impression, a conversation with friends, a dream uh, even. Uh, He can speak in all sorts of ways, but only consistently with what is already revealed in the Bible. And so I would never want to say it's carte blanche, everyone can just hear his or her own words from God and do what he or she feels God's telling them to do. No, it's always got to be brought back to the Scriptures. So does God only speak through the Scriptures? I'd say, no, I wouldn't want to say that. I wouldn't want to limit God in that way. But God will only speak to us in a way that is consistent with what is already said in the Bible. He's not going to contradict what is already said in the Bible. So we have the Holy Spirit within us, and uh, that was sent to us when Jesus uh, ascended into heaven, if you like. He said he'd leave an advocate, a counsellor. So how do do we relate to Holy Spirit living within us uh, when it comes to making decisions and stuff? So whether I've got a choice between job A or job B or I want to join a band, is it okay to join a band? Or, you know, just everyday kind of uh, questions, you know, whether I'm a young Christian or a more mature Christian, but I I want to make the right decision. I want to make a godly decision. But, you know, those questions aren't actually answered in the Bible. No, they're not. And the Bible, actually, funnily enough, doesn't answer a lot of those questions at all. Uh, but it does give you some principles. Uh, and the the role of the Holy Spirit there is basically to alert you, I think, to the principles that are expressed in Scripture and then to prompt you to prayerfully and and carefully apply those principles. And here, I think we've not only got to, as you rightly say, uh, grasp the importance of the Holy Spirit enlightening us and showing how a particular general passage of Scripture can apply to a specific situation, but we also not only have to rely on the Holy Spirit, but rely on the people of God. And I think that's so, it's again one of those reasons why it is so important to maintain links with the Christian church with a Christian community. I'm not talking about the church on the corner on a Sunday morning necessarily. As long as you've got some anchorage within the Christian community, you can raise these things in a Christian community. So is it right for me to go for job A or job B? The Bible's probably not going to tell you. It'll give you principles. The Holy Spirit may well be working on your feeling and your thinking, but what, one of the ways he will do that is by you going into dialogue with other Christians. You might say to me, look, I think I'll do job A rather than job B. And I might, I might see all sorts of problems with that. And I might be used by the Holy Spirit to say, oh, look, I think you might be being misled there to go for job A rather than job B. Now, of course, I might be wrong. But I believe Christians go badly wrong when they isolate themselves, not only from the general principles of Scripture, not only when they are blind and deaf to the Holy Spirit, But when they ignore one of the great means whereby God directs us, that is the people of God. So God will speak consistently with the Bible, but he goes beyond the Bible, obviously, in specific circumstances. And we best safeguard ourselves against being misled and by going up the garden path, as it were, by being not only prayerfully reliant on the Holy Spirit, but by also being anchored within the community of God's people, because those people can say, watch it, you might be going on the wrong track there, or yes, go ahead, that seems to be an open door. Thanks, David. That was, uh, yeah, that was great. Really interesting stuff. If you've uh, enjoyed our discussion today, we have got another 11 episodes that we've previously recorded. Go back and have a, have a listen and explore some of the questions that are commonly asked by yourself and friends like you who have asked questions that have, I guess, been questions that have been asked down the ages. Uh, it is the Life Words podcast with David Ray. You can email us your question, lifewords at hopemedia.com.au. 
and we'll answer them in the weeks to come. David, thanks again for joining us and we'll speak next week. Thank you. Thank you.